I'm your host, Jeff Dawson, for another episode of Dawson's Domain, where we cover the spectrum of life's pressing issues and events, from politics to relationships, sports to horror, alternative history to poetry, humor to baseball coaching, and everything in between. Now we just got to get back into walking so we can go out to the ball fields and watch the kids play because that is one of my favorite places to go and relax and turn off phones, just pretty much turn off everything and just take in a game. They are wonderful. I just, I love this time of year. If you have questions or comments, the number to call in is 888-637-6008 or 323-744-4831. You can listen to it on iHeartRadio, and the phone number is 631-359-9353. In April, we are pushing for 50 new subscribers, which isn't asking a whole lot. And the subscription rates go from $2.99 to $49.99. And I think that is an excellent price for all the content that I provide on a bi-weekly episode. I'd like to make it every week, every week, but we got to get the funds built up. We do that, and we can do this every week, depending on the time slots that are available. So subscribe to this. Support my work. Life is good. If you have uh, issue with subscriptions, then buy my books. I got plenty of books on Amazon. I think the last count was 18. And my latest release is Roadkill, which I really do like that since it's based on a lot of the characters of the hotel that I live at. And, of course, they bitched and moaned about when are you going to put us in a book. And then I put them in a book and they said, why'd you kill me? And it's like, you know, you can't have it both ways. You didn't ask what type of story it was going to be. So guess what? It's a crime novel of a cartel moving in from Mexico to Tulsa, Muskogee, McAllister, and Stillwater. And uh, where you got drugs, you got violence. And there's a lot of it. You got a crooked cop who he wants a huge piece of the pie. So, yeah, a lot of people get blown away. In fact, uh, one of the characters, he didn't make it a page and a half. And I got to thinking, I've never knocked anybody off that fast. And even he was a little upset. And it's like, well, you should have been nice when you got out of the car. You pissed off the wrong person. He was a man of no bullshit. And he pretty well just said, bye. Actually, he didn't say anything. He just shot him in the knee. And, uh while the character was laying on the ground, screaming and hollering, he shot him in the stomach. That was the end of it. And his partner was like, you got a choice. You can join up or you can join him. What you going to do? Needless to say, that character uh, decided he chose wisely and uh, helped dispose of the uh, rather disturbed individual. 
But yeah, the title of that is Roadkill. That was a lot of fun to ride. It took a while, but hey, some things are worth waiting for. Okay. And I'm also an Herbalife salesman, if you want to call it sales. But I don't push everything. I know a lot of people out there, they do. But there's three products that I really go after. You want energy. This is called Lift Off. It comes in four flavors, lemon lime, pomegranate, uh, orange, and I forgot the other one. But that is, these are caffeine-based, and they really do get you going. I can't take it because after the blood clots 12 years ago, I got a real bad sensitivity to caffeine. So I'd like to try one, but also know that that would not be the right thing to do. Another one is these protein bars. I really do like these. And these are all meal supplements. It's not a diet, okay? It's not a diet. And that's what I stress to people. Oh, you're on a diet. No, I'm not on a damn diet. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. I'm just eating better. And uh, I've got this meal replacement shake. This is cookies and cream. And there's like 14 different flavors of these. And one of these canisters will last a month if you do one a day. Obviously, if you do two a day, it's only going to last about 15 days. But when I really got into this seven years ago and hit it hard and everything was working properly, it was 25 pounds in two months. I didn't believe it. My daughter had mentioned it. My daughter-in-law had mentioned it. I didn't believe them. I got on a scale and I said, well, damn the luck. Look at that. So now I just got to figure out what's going on with my physiology per se, digestive system and say, okay, what's not going quite right. But since the hernia surgery, that could have had something to do with it. And once I get to walking, which we're going to definitely start next week, we'll see how those results go. And I will add this, you've got to do some type of exercise. You just can't be a vegetable and think this is going to work because it won't. You can take it all but if you want to sit there on your butt and do nothing, well, guess what? It will do nothing. It might help a little, but you're still not going to get the results that you want. So I can't do high impact exercises anymore because I got a bad knee, even with my brace, but I can walk and I'm looking forward to getting back to two to three miles a day. And that was actually brought up at dinner last night. And I restrained from slapping the shit out of some of the people, but that's okay. That's okay. Their intentions were, they sure the hell weren't honorable, but they were good. Uh, another revenue stream is the management seminars based on my book, Cutting to the Chase, which I got to briefly describe to a young girl last night, who I think she'd had one too many glasses of wine, but that's okay. Maybe she's listening. And damn, if I didn't, I, I didn't get her name, but. She was in town with a bunch of, uh, I believe it was Southwest Airlines uh, flight attendant trainees. I believe that's what it was. So she was, she was quite outgoing, I will say that. She was fun to listen to. So on Herbalife, you go to the website, which is 
jeff-dawson.goherbalife.com slash en-us. You go on there, they'll say, I have a new customer. I authorize access. You get to shop whatever you want. Whatever you want, you can start looking through it. You got questions, I'll do my best to answer them. If I can't, I will find someone that can get the right answers. But you go through, you pick what you want, you choose your method of payment. I will be notified of it. Is this approved? Yes, and it will be shipped to your house. You don't have to wait for it to come to me and then me get it to you. It will be shipped directly to you. And if you have any questions, well, you can contact me. No big deal. Oh, so what else we got here? The Woodall Foundation. I was really pleased when I ran into a listener this week and they said, uh, she said she had purchased two of the shirts that they are selling to raise money for the refugees of Ukraine, but they're focused on the deaf refugees. It's a very small community, but they're very involved in it. And that is one thing that the listener told me, and her name is Anne. Uh, she went and looked at their site on Facebook and was really impressed with everything she saw. And she's like, yeah, I know that what I'm buying is going to that cause because this, they really are doing phenomenal work. And I said, yes, they are. And then I explained to her that Becky is my best friend, Mike Paling's daughter who passed in 2001, much, much too young from a heart attack. That was very disturbing news when I got that phone call. And I was at work and a buddy from Tulsa called and said, have you looked at the obituaries? It's like, no, I don't look at the obituaries. We're going to do that. He said, well, it looks like Mike died. I said, no way. I mean, he was 41. Yeah, he did. It was a massive heart attack. Very, very sadly missed, but uh, he'd be very proud of his daughter and the work that she is, she and her husband are doing. So uh, I believe the shirts are, I think retailers selling them for 35, but they've also got it up, got a price up there. Of, you know, if you can't afford that, because they understand times are a little difficult for a lot of people, that uh, if you can just buy them for $12, which covers their cost, which I can relate to that because I've got vampire t-shirts. And yeah, the $12 they're not making, if they're making a dollar off that, I'd be surprised because you get the print costs. Then, you know, how many did they buy at once for a bulk discount? Then you've got to ship them. So it's probably a break-even proposition for them, but they're willing to do that and get the word out. So if you're looking for a good foundation, no, it's $30, excuse me, not 35, but 30 um, it's a great one. It, it really is. It really is. Okay. Dunstan's. It's Friday night. Wasn't a large gathering, but, uh, a guest we hadn't seen in a few months appeared and that would have been Mr. Lee Stewart. 
and Mr. Westford, myself, and the Berries were there, and we celebrated Wes's 68th birthday. And Patty, out of the kindness of her heart, made Wes a peach cobbler because she had been posting on Facebook this week all these recipes. Well, my daughter did this like five or six years ago, and it's like, you know, if you're going to post this stuff, then we want some. We're the leftovers. Well, I started harassing Patty. Well, when she got up to five, I said, okay, Friday night, you owe us five dishes. Or you sit at the kitty table. You will be banished from the adult table. Of course, she just laughed at me like I was some type of screaming idiot, which, yeah, usually on Friday night, I, I have to save all my good stuff up for that. But uh, he was very appreciative of his cobbler. But it's like, you still owe us for Patty. That's all there is to it. You still owe us for You're not getting off the hook. And we don't want to hear any more complaining about the dishwasher, okay? As you well know, I destroyed Debbie's sink. And uh, her dishwasher didn't work. So I had to go to Lowe's, get a couple of pans with her youngest with her oldest daughter, Jessica. She's like, what are these for? And I said, to find out when we get home. And uh, sitting on the floor doing dishes was really a lot of fun. Until the day Debbie walked in and I'm down there cleaning dishes. Well, you know, one soapy water, one is rinse water. And she looked down and goes, you really do make a good house bitch. I said, well, excuse me, what did you say? Uh, no, woman, give me five minutes to get off this floor and you will regret what you said. Well, of course, she just laughed. She goes, probably take you 10 minutes to get off the floor. And I thought, I think when it was all said and done, she was right. But uh, in regards to the dishwasher, hopefully Best Buy is doing what they said and are sending competent people to finally hook up this $1,200 dishwasher that Jerry and Patty bought two weeks ago and uh, just get to look at it as a fine piece of uh, a fine appliance that is collecting dust. Of course, it's kind of like Patty just collects dust. Yeah, I don't have to be nice to you today. I really don't. I'm going to give you some grief so you can look at Jerry. Jer Jerry, honey, listen to him. Listen to what he's saying. He, why is he so mean to me? I mean, this 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 woman and I, we we get along handsomely. But I always like it when she starts telling a story, and I just look at her and go, "Are you still talking?" And her husband just he kind of hides his face, starts drinking his beer, and is blowing it out of his nose, going, "I can't say that to her, but he can." And she's like. There he is. He's just so mean to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hopefully they will get that issue resolved so they can actually enjoy the dishwasher that they've purchased. That's got to be a real pain in the ass. And they did describe something that's kind of prevalent today. But, I mean, they, they have an older house. It was probably built in the late 50s, early 60s. So everything was hardwired, and the dishwasher is a plug-in. 
and the guys from Best Buy, they didn't have a clue. They were, they're trained or instructed, pull out the old one, plug in the new one, hook up the drain, and it'll work. Well, the old one's gone. They get the new one. It's like, uh, we don't know what we're doing. Well, they're not electricians. They probably did good just to get the thing loaded on the truck and to the correct delivery address. But uh, with some luck and maybe some intelligence from whoever is coming out from Best Buy today, they can get their shit together and get this thing up and running. Because if not, I'm sure Jerry's going to look at him and say, well, you know something, guys? I don't give a damn if you get the thing working or not. But I'll say this much. Y'all going to stay here every day and do our dishes until that some bitch is up and running. Now, if there are any questions, call your supervisor and he can come help you. In fact, I bet he's got a manual on how you can wash dishes because we're out a bunch of money and we're not getting any benefit from this. So uh, just be forewarned, boys. You got a date tonight. It's going to be canceled because uh, my my bride needs to cook, and they're good. that means they're going to be dishes, and uh, y'all going to be cleaning it up. And that's all I got to say about that. But yeah, it was a it was a fun evening as always. You just can't go wrong. And Dunstan's is a great place to eat. It's good atmosphere reasonable prices and life is good so if you're looking for a good place in the dallas area they got two locations one on lover's lane and the other one on harry hines and regal row okay see patty i wasn't that mean could have been a lot worse book review i really had to go through my catalog to see what would be appropriate today. And I mean, every day on Facebook, I post one of my publications. And I got to thinking, you know, there's a cancer book out there that I remember reading a long time ago and just thought, you know, I need to give this guy a shout out. And I, it took a while to find it, but it is called Second Wind. Thriving with Cancer. And did I put down, after I looked it up, did I actually put it down? Dan Wozner. And the long and the short, uh, it, it's a very inspirational story. And he got lung cancer, not once, but he got it twice. Now, most people that you hear that getting lung cancer, it's not a good outcome. I mean, of recent history of a celebrity, you would think if you're a conservative, liberal would probably doesn't care, be Rush Limbaugh. When he realized he was having a little trouble breathing, he was diagnosed with stage four. And obviously he didn't beat it, but, but Dan did. 
and let's see, he knows the odds and does everything within his power and his doctors to keep extending his life without destroying the quality of his life. Chemo is rough. Having four lobes removed is tough, but instead of playing the woe is me card, he takes on each new challenge and looks for the positive in each step of his hand of his battle. That my friend is what the story is about. It is, it, it is no pity part. It's, he was diagnosed. They set up a treatment plan and he went into it full board. Now he did have some money and he had good insurance. So that was financially, it didn't destroy him, but mentally and physically, it was a tough go, but he never thought about what could happen, what might happen. He thought about about what will happen, and what will happen is he will be healed. And that's a great mindset, which I can relate to when I went through my prostate cancer treatment last year. I didn't think about the worst scenario, which my friend bears, it was... I don't know how many times we would have a discussion and he was always thinking about the worst part that could happen. And if I said, you know, there's a lot of mental healing that goes on here. If you keep thinking you're not going to get better, you're not going to get better. So when you quit worrying about what might happen and focus on what they're, what is happening and the cure and treatment they're going through with you and I did get really angry with them one day I said no some I don't want to hear it anymore so there's a lot of mental that goes into this I mean when I got the diagnose diagnosis I didn't worry about or, or think about what's my uh how much time do I have left it's like okay what's the plan they gave me four options we chose one we attacked it they beat it but I had a positive mindset through the whole thing. I didn't fret. I didn't worry. I didn't spend endless hours on the internet looking at the uh, survival rate per se. I just looked at this is the procedure we're doing. This is how it's going to be done. This is how they're going to execute it. And we're going to do those five treatments and then see what happens. And what happened is really great. Okay. So let me get back to the review a little. Uh, as I said, it's not a pity party. There is nothing in this story asking the reader to feel sorry for Dan. No, it's okay. I have what? How do I beat it? What is the newest treatment on the market? How long will it extend my life? And who else can benefit from the new discovery? So this is what he's telling you. He is positive all through this all through this. And then there's his partner in crime, advocate and wife, Genevieve. She is a lighthearted artist, no nonsense woman. Most of the time she comes across as a mild manner, lowest light. However, when a doctor tells both of them, the insurance company will only cover for two or three of the, uh, the prescribed drugs, she turns into Xena. Why? Because she's not ready for a long shot to say goodbye to her best friend and no insurance company is going to be responsible for such fooling, foolishness. And that's the second theme of the book, 
is they had a lot of times where they were told no. And she said, no, my ass, let me tell you something. We pay a really good premium for this. I've read the coverage. I know what's in there. I'm tired of your bullshit. Now shut up, suck it up and pay for it. You got any problems with that? Because if you do, I'll bring my goat smelling ass down to your office and we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting and you really aren't going to be happy when I'm done with you. So yeah, she would just hulk up when she ran into roadblocks with them. She didn't hang up the phone and say, oh, I'm sorry, Dan, but they won't cover it. She said, kiss my ass. You're not covering this. Would you like to say that one more time before I grab your scrawny neck and pull it through this phone and just beat you to a pulp? Yeah. Now, the one thing he doesn't cover is what about those who don't have insurance? Now, that might be a book unto itself, but he he didn't get into that. But still, it's a real good book on dealing with a debilitating cancer diagnosis. And he lived to tell it. Now, I probably need to go and Google his name to see if there's any more updates. Because I don't know. To see if he's still kicking or I'll go back to the book and see if there's an email and contact him. And see, that's what... That seems to be a problem nowadays for people is my contact information is in all my books and it's on my cards and all that. It's not that hard if you really like the book. If you don't want to post a review, you got my email address. Send me an email. Tell me what you did or didn't like about the story. Maybe that will help me improve the next one that I'm working on, which I've got two I'm working on right now. And that's how we get better. Now, this was National Vietnam Veterans Day. And a year ago, I sat down and wrote a poem. Now, I don't write rhyming poems, okay? Let's just get that out in the open. I write longhand poems. Because that's the style that works for me. The last time I had to do a rhyming poem was probably seven years ago for the Denton Poets Society. And I struggled with that damn thing. My God, I've got to get words to rhyme. I'll have to find that because I directed it towards the uh, guy who gave us the assignment, Paul. He passed on. I think Paul died like three years ago, but he was, he was elderly. And that, but then a lot of the people in the DPA organization, probably the top four or so, I know two have passed since they shut down for COVID, but uh, Paul Holcomb, Paul was a really good guy. He was a minister, but he was a good mentor and teacher on poetry. And he just, he realized with me, he goes, you just don't write like the rest of us. And I said, well, I, I do what I thought a writer's supposed to do is you write from the heart. You write what you feel. And he said, that's exactly what you do. So 
this one is titled, It Wasn't That Long Ago. It wasn't that long ago when I was living carefree, playing baseball, basketball, chasing girls, catching a flick, swiping a few pieces of gum, collecting baseball cards, down in an ice-cold Coke on a hot summer's day, or picking up a few bucks shoveling snow. And who could forget dragging down Maine as Mike's wingman or getting all decked out for the prom where we knew Billy would spike the punch. It wasn't that long ago. I fondly remember deep discussions with my buds on the best way to unfasten that damn bra strap. One would have thought we were aspiring mechanical engineers with all the gimmicks and ideas we formulated. It was Kevin that had the most astute idea. Just ask them to do it for you. Damn, no wonder we knew he would be a brain surgeon someday. He could break down any problem with a simple solution. And you know what? It worked. I mean, yeah. If you can't figure out how to do it, well, just ask him. You're killing me. I mean, I got pretty good. You know, just a flick of two fingers and that those little hooks just popped right off. And that includes the ones that snapped in the front, too. I had a girlfriend that really got upset when I did that to her, especially when we were in public. Well, hell, she embarrassed the hell out of me most of the time, so she deserved it. It wasn't that long ago. When my country came calling, my dad served, my uncles and cousins all put on the uniform with nary a doubt. I remember looking at my dad's uniform covered with ribbons and medals. My relatives, too, came home with a chest full of medals. I never understood why they never talked about it or put them on. Dad caught me once trying his on. Instead of seeing his eyes fill with joy and pride, tears seeped from the corners. Lee, please take it off. Why, Dad? Son? There are some things I hope you never have to experience. As he turned to walk out, his shoulders slumped. I had to ask, weren't you proud to serve? I mean, look at all the ribbons and medals. He slowly turned, his cheeks exposing the river of water running down them. Yes, Lee, I was proud to serve my country. As for the medals and ribbons, they are a reminder of the price of freedom. And son, it is a very, very heavy price. So please put it back. It wasn't that long ago. I went through basic and learned how to fight and kill. Back then it was a game we all strived to excel at. I was barracked with a bunch of great guys from all over the country. I'd never heard so many accents in my life. Those guys from the Northeast sounded like they came from Mars or Venus and those from Michigan and Wisconsin. Hell, Webster's could have a dictionary just for them. As for myself, well, they fought with my West Texas drawl. I think some of them are still trying to figure out the word wire. Made sense to me. It wasn't that long ago. When we flew into Vietnam, it was the hottest, wettest, muggiest place I'd ever been to. Within minutes, our fatigues were drenched and the smell of jet fuel permeated our very core. It was horrible. But hey, we were here to defeat communism and save the South Vietnamese from the Red Menace. I'll never forget those guys rotating home. The look on their faces was nothing like I'd seen before. They weren't upbeat like us. They were combat veterans ready to get the hell out of Dodge and fast. I remember one guy. He looked me straight in the eyes. Junior, keep your head down, socks dry, and your ass even lower. Do that and you might survive. While his words might have been prophetic, his eyes shocked me into reality. 
I saw my dad's eyes in his. It wasn't that long ago. I spent nothing short of a year in hell. Nothing in training could or would prepare one for the horrors I couldn't even imagine in my worst nightmares. The popping of flares, followed by the rain of mortar shells. The screams of my buddies as shrapnel found a home and shredded their young bodies, covering the ground with body parts and spilt life-sustaining blood. No matter how hard I tried, I could never wash out the smell of cordite or copper off. It stuck to one like glue. If that wasn't bad enough, then daylight sweeps weren't any better. You never knew when someone would step on a mine or punji stake. Those damn things were everywhere and deadly as hell. One could lose a leg in the blink of an eye or get an infection so horrendous you could watch the damn thing fester in an hour and without proper medical attention, one became the unwilling host for a fly convention. I remember one guy was so bad, Magus had hatched and were enjoying a fine feast on a buddy's arm. Reminded me of rice kernels boiling in a pot, only it was his arm. To this day, I cannot eat rice. It wasn't that long ago. I had served my country and served it well, or at least as well as the higher-ups allowed us. Unlike my dad and relatives, they had a mission. Win. Ours was to live to see another day and hope the next body bag wasn't yours. I know, I now knew what the guy a year ago was talking about and the sage advice he passed on. It worked. I was going home with a chest full of ribbons and medals, but never really appreciate, accepted or appreciated them for I now knew what my dad meant when he said it's a very, very heavy price. It wasn't that long ago. I returned home. No brass bands, no cheering crowds, only a country that had turned against the war and those of us who fought it. I was ready to get back to normal and hang up my uniform for good. Dad got me a job at the feedlot. We didn't talk much during those years. We both kept to ourselves. Occasionally, we'd drown a worm, shoot a buck, or scurry the quails, but not much else. It wasn't that long ago. I'd been home for 15 years. Nothing much had changed. Dad had retired and I was moving up the ranks. I came home from work, grabbed a beer, and sat by my dad on the front porch. It was a quiet, still, muggy night with a nice breeze. The only sound were the crickets chirping away and the locusts buzzing about. Looking up, the stars were so brilliant, one had to squint. After a few sips, I looked at Dad. I could tell he was looking into the past. How? Small tears kept forming around the corner, corners of his eyes. Why? I didn't know. Were they for mom when she died 10 years ago from cancer? Or something else? I didn't know. He took a sip of his tea, then cleared his throat. Lee, it's time. Time for what? It's time. He got up and went inside. It wasn't that long ago. I found myself on a plane headed to D.C. I didn't know why, and Dad wasn't talking. He only stared into the past, whispering words only he knew. The plane landed, and we deported. He hailed a cab and gave the driver a destination after loading what little luggage he'd packed. 
He nodded solemnly and headed into the city. The driver stopped on schedule. Dad looked at me. Lee, don't ask any questions, please. Just do as I request so we can both heal. The words puzzled me, but okay. Sure, Dad, whatever you want. When he opened his carry-on, I saw his and mine old uniforms. Dad, please, Lee, don't ask. Reluctantly, I put on my old jacket, and so did Dad. Follow me. It wasn't that long ago. We walked towards a plaza with a big black granite wall. I noticed other veterans milling about not saying a word. I felt like I was going to church. It was so damn quiet. The closer we got, I could make out words on the wall. But what were they? Then slowly, I began to see the writing was names. But names of whom? I then noticed it wasn't a continual wall, but panels, and each panel had a date on it. The names were of the 58,301 men and women who fell in that awful war. A lump built up in my chest and throat. I had never given myself the time to grieve for those who I lost or were badly wounded. I wanted that memory dead and buried. I did my best, but on this day, it all flooded back and consumed me. The tears fell freely and fast. My dad was there to support me as my knees began buckling. Other veterans noticed my dilemma and came to help without a word being spoken. What I didn't notice is they were also helping my dad keep his balance. For he too was weeping for his fallen comrades and friends. And believe it or not, those brave men that came to our rescue, as they had in the battlefields we shared, wept with us. I don't know how long we cried together. It didn't matter. We were sharing something no one would understand unless they were there. It took time for us to let the tears stop falling and wiped away. When I looked into my dad's eyes, I saw something I'd never seen before joy and happiness the pain was finally washing itself away i took a quick look at the wall then back to dad it wasn't that long ago dad you're right lee it wasn't that long ago we turned stood as straight as we could and saluted our fallen brethren then those around us and each other we placed an arm on a shoulder and slowly walked away from our past it wasn't that long ago. I really like that one. And I didn't serve. But I've read enough stories and listened to veterans talk. Those of World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Desert Storm, and they all have a similar vein that they share. That no one who hasn't been in their shoes can ever understand. But I try and do my best. And honor the men and women that have served our country.
I hope you like that. The show, The Curse of Oak Island. Why is it still on? The curse is that it is still on. Those two brothers don't need the money. If you didn't know it, look them up. They've got, they're into green energy and they've got a couple of wind farms. So they are more than wealthy. But, you know, I don't know who owns that island, but I'd be really pissed off with all the holes they're digging up. Are they filling them back in? And, you know, think about it. They're looking for a treasure that's, what, 150 years old? And they think they're going to find it 200 feet underground. They haven't found shit. They found a bunch of wood. I think they found one metal. But it's like, I'm sorry. This is the most ridiculous show I've ever seen. And I haven't watched a full episode. I won't waste my time with it because it is nothing but noise and stupidity but and it's right up there with that movie that uh shelly long and tom hanks were in the money pit that's all this is so they must be making more money from their energy company than they know what to do with because they obviously don't know what they're doing it's just like that the they're they're looking for yamashito's gold in the philippines that is the Dutch show is about as ignorant as it gets to. The History Channel has just lost their mind with some of the crap that they put out there. They're not going to find Yamashito's gold. You don't even know if there was any. It's ridiculous. But then the level of intelligence in the United States has dropped off so badly some days that I don't think it's possible for anyone to have a thought and retain any sense of intelligence and and that's right up there with the big story of the week you know i didn't give two shits about the oscars i knew they were on also knew there were reruns of hogan's heroes and green acres and andy griffith and twilight zone carol burnett that's entertaining and this crap of what happened and all of the debate and discussions that have come out of it, it, it's right up there with the curse of Oak Island. It's so petty. It's pathetic. It's ignorance at its highest. And there's a whole lot to spread around. You haven't seen me post shit about that because I don't have the time or the energy. My intellect is a lot higher that I don't care. Now, what would have happened if that would have been, say, Arnold Schwarzenegger or Clint Eastwood or uh, Sam Elliott that walked up there and slapped him? Do you think that would have gotten a pass? Oh, that would have been white on black hate crime and they'd have grilled them. But you got two black guys that... It was just, it was a bad show. I don't care about their ratings, and I'm sure not going to add into the discussion on Facebook or Twitter or any other site about, oh, don't you feel sad for Will, and don't you feel sad for Craig. I bitch slapped both of them 
tell them to sit down, shut the hell up. Nobody cares. And this one gal I know, oh, she wrote this dissertation about like four or five points on why Will did this and how he felt. Blah, 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 blow it out of your ass. Really, nobody cares. But if your life is that pathetically empty and you have to post like two or three articles on it, get a light. Really? Pull your head out. And yeah, they're all liberals. I can say that without batting an eye. It was all these liberals showing, oh, well, well, spit slap them. Shut the hell up. Grow a backbone. Will Smith should have been tossed. That's assault. Chris Rock should have been tossed just for being Chris Rock and stupid. I didn't care. <laughs> what a bunch of crap Ola. God. They're still covering it. All right, and I'm not going to cover it anymore. Enough of that. I mentioned earlier baseball. It's the Rangers opening day is a week from Monday against the Colorado Rockies. What dumbass came up with that schedule? It's opening day. You're playing a National League team that you probably won't see the rest of the season. Why aren't we playing Houston, Detroit, California, Oakland, Seattle, Kansas City, I mean, Baltimore, anyone but a National League team, what type of BS is that? And it's so ridiculous because their first two games are on the road. They go to Toronto. Where's that damn schedule? I I looked at this, and like eight or nine years ago, I came up with a actual schedule that worked, and one guy said, oh, the wheel's not broken, so why are you trying to fix it? Well, because I'm not a dumbass like you, for one. It is broken, and this is the perfect example of it. So we go to Toronto for two, for three. Then they got to fly back that Sunday night, play Colorado for two. They're off Wednesday. They fly to L.A. for four. Then they're off Monday. They fly to Seattle. Then they fly back to Oakland. Then Sunday night, they got to fly down here for Houston and Atlanta. Why the hell are we playing Atlanta? I don't like these National League interspots. This is such a waste of time. I've never been a fan of this, period, period. National League plays in the National League. We'll see each other at the All-Star Game in the World Series, and that's it. But you're not building any rivalries. You're not building any sense of excitement unless you happen to be a Rockies fan or a Braves fan. I mean, it's just insane. And the fuel they waste, we're, we're the green people. We're all these morons and their green bill crapola not bitching about these sports schedules and all the fuel and all the exhaust they're dumping into the stratosphere and the birds they're killing and the pollution they're spreading and blah, 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 blah bunch of idiots all of them of course baseball hadn't had a good commissioner in decades i guess since Bowie kuhn maybe but uh bud selig and manfred 
Good God, they have scraped the bottom of the barrel for these clowns. Okay, I didn't mean to rant, but I really get pissed off when I think of how they schedule these games. And then they wonder why in the summer, let's say, let's look at July real quick. What does that look like? Uh, So what's that? The New York, is that the Mets? Yeah. So for July 4th weekend, we're going to be in New York playing the Mets. How many Ranger fans do you think are going to that game? Good Lord. Then they go to Baltimore. Then they go to, uh, then they come, then they fly home and play the Twins for three, play the uh, A's for three, the Mariners for three. And then we have the all-star break. Then they fly out to Oakland, fly out to Seattle, fly out to L.A., fly back to play Baltimore here. I mean, you do a schedule like that. You got 162 games. You wonder why guys get the flu in the summer. Well, there it is. It's right there. And then when you hear these clown analysts say, well, I don't understand why they're getting sick. Well, look at their schedule. When do they really get to sleep, get a good sleep in? But the other thing about baseball, yes, other than my bitching and moaning and complaining about their schedules, it's coming. But what also is coming, especially with Little League and junior high and high school, I love going to watch the games. I loved it when I could call games. But what I didn't love was when parents showed their ass and the coaches puckered up right along with them and showed theirs. You know, this isn't about you. This is about the kids learning the game. That's it. W's and L's will take care of themselves. And I cover this in my two coaching baseball coaching manuals little league to high school volumes one and two it's about the kids it's not about you it's not about you wanting to live vicariously through your kids and i and the biggest mistake i always see is where the coach's kid is the pitcher or in bats fourth and is probably one of the worst players on the team now that's not always the case but rule of thumb it is It's not about you. It's about the kids. And when I coached and when I umpired, even if my children were on the team, they were just another player. They were not my children. They did not get special attention. They were not shown favoritism. They were put in positions where they would excel and the team had a good chance of winning. And that's what I did. I remember one year, my oldest son, he kept complaining about he wanted to pitch. He wanted to pitch. And I said, fine, I'll put you in. I think he got through three innings, and that's the last time he went on the mound. He got shelled. It was ugly. And I just looked at him. I said, this is why you play third base or in the outfield. That's where you're good at. And that's where you will stay. And he never, ever asked me to pitch again because the answer would have been no. 
but how many games have I seen where the coaches leave little Johnny in too long, more than I can count, or the coach is blaming the other teammates that they're not supporting Johnny more than I can count. So all the coach is doing is trying to cover up for his child's athletic lack of athleticness. It is that simple. It really is. Don't cover for someone because everyone else can see it. The good coaches know where to put the players. And if they don't know, then they haven't been watching. And I've seen this countless times through the years where coaches just, especially they get a runner on third base and they start bullshitting with the coach, the, the opposing coach, and their runner gets picked off and they turn around and go, what the hell happened? What were you doing, Billy? Why weren't you paying attention? Well, coach, why weren't you paying attention? Why wasn't your head pulled out? Why were you over there swapping spit with Sam from the opposition and telling bad stories that nobody gives two shits about? Huh? I don't know how many times I saw that. I just laughed at the coach. And he goes, what's so funny, Blue? And I said, your head's up your ass. That's what's funny. You got a man on base. You got a one-run game, and you're not paying attention, and you're blaming the kid for your stupidity and inattentiveness. Moron. Wake up, Jack. Get the hell off my field anyway. I don't like you. You're a moron. You shouldn't be allowed to coach kids because if you had a thought, it'd scare the ever-living hell out of you, dumbass. Ah, I hate that. I love watching coaches who are engaged with their kids. They are there to teach them the game knowing if they learn the fundamentals, the W's and L's will take care of themselves. It doesn't mean you're going to come in first place. It doesn't mean you're going to win the championship, but it does mean your kids will appreciate and learn to love the game. And that's what we are there for. It's not a job. And anyone who says it's a job needs to be shocked. I hate hearing that on the baseball field. Good job. Are they getting paid to do this? Huh? Did anybody draw a paycheck? Nobody's drawing a paycheck. It's a job when you get paid. We are coaching those kids to be better players, to be better people, to learn how to get along with others. I'll never forget little Blake on the last team that I coached. And he had, he had very little athletic ability, but he wanted to play. And you could tell when I, ta I talked to his parents, they were kind of, you know, he wants to do this, but we know he's not that good. And I said, well, okay, that's fine. I never said that to Blake. I just remember the day that the head coach just, he wanted to me and another guy to take over the practice for that day. He never showed back up. He just disappeared. Don't know why, but he disappeared. And that, that was okay. Because I went through that years before, so I could relate to it. But first move I made was I got everyone off the field and sat them by the backstop. 
Blake was sitting by himself. And I said, uh, Blake, are you part of this team? He said, yes. Then join the team. Well, he didn't have any real friends on that team. That was okay. But from that day forward, they found out they will become a team come hell or high water. And luckily, neither one had to be used. Neither one went to hell and the high waters never came and washed us away. But they became a team. And they started playing together. And I pushed Blake as hard as I could without breaking him. I knew he wasn't a great ball player. I didn't care. I just knew he loved to play the game and wanted to play it to the best of his ability. And when it was all said and done, he did. He was, we put him in right field because the chances of balls going to right field are thin. We as coaches know that. But when a few balls were finally hit his way, he was ready and he was confident and he was prepared. And he made the play. There were no shoestring catches or running 50 feet at full steam and over the shoulder. No. He played to the best of his ability. Did he score a lot of runs? No. But when he did get on base, we gave him every opportunity to attempt to score a run. And that's all it took. And as he got better, his teammates got better. And they supported each other. No, they're not going to be hanging out at school and talking, you know, chatting it up with the girls in the parking lot. But they learn to appreciate and respect each other. And I remember the last team my youngest son was on, it was horrible. These were all high school kids that thought their shit didn't stink and they knew it all. And they were horrible. There were a bunch of mouthy, whiny shits who were spoiled rotten and thought their shit didn't stink and there wasn't anyone better. And I just look at them and say, you all suck. Have you all won a game this year? Because they didn't know the fundamentals. They thought that practice was for grab-assing and bitching and moaning and yelling. It's like, God, it's a shame I didn't get this team because I'd have thrown half of them off of it. Of course, they'd have complained and whimpered and whined. But there was some talent there, but it was completely wasted. What's that movie, A Bronx Tale? Wasted talent. Well, that team was packed with it. If they'd have pulled their heads out, they might have had a good season, but I'm just glad that team is over. Okay. NFL diversity policy. Anybody heard about this? Well, I found it on my net zero news feed on the newser. Now, let me run through this real quick. NFL teams will be required to employ a female or a member of an ethnic or racial minority as an offensive assistant coach for the upcoming season, according to diversity efforts announced Monday during annual owners meeting, the league will reimburse teams up to 200,000 in 2022 and 205 and 23 for a one-year contract, which would go to a person with at least three years of college 
or professional coaching experience. The initiative is meant to lead to more minority head coaches down the road. In recent years, head coaches have predominantly had offensive backgrounds. The league also announced the creation of a diversity advisory committee to review hiring practices in light of ongoing concerns over lack of diversity in hiring. This follows a racial discrimination suit from former Dolphins coach Brian Flores, ah, bitch slap him too, now an assistant with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I bet they'll regret that down the road. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell acknowledges the league has more work to do, particularly at the head coach and front office level. The NFL said our diversity numbers are stagnant in the head coach and special teams coordinator roles and have slightly declined in the offensive coordinator. Blah, 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 blah. God, I'm just sick of reading their diversity crap. 39% of coaching positions were filled by people of color in 2021. Who gives two shits? Up from 35% in 2020. There were seven black general managers, up from five, and six minorities. I'm going to read any more of that shit. Let me tell you how this plays out. I watched it firsthand in construction. <sighs> And I know I've talked about this before, but this also goes to the, my book, Cutting to the Chase, where Dallas was starting their minority contractors program, the MBEs and the WBEs and the LBEs and the, dumb, and the DBAs and the DASs and all that BSAs. <clears throat> that... If there's federal money on a project, we had to use a certain percentage of minority contractors. And if we could not meet their percentage goals, then we had to give cause on why we couldn't do that. In fact, that dumbass Al Lipscomb actually called the company I worked for and wanted to know who was doing the uh, paving, the sidewalks, the driveways, and the street. And the secretary said, well, we are. And he goes, well, my people, my people need that work it's better for your mexicans to be out of work than a hundred thousand black people in south dallas well that was kind of the premise of how this shit was about to go down the road so we had this big meeting every contractor in dallas is invited that wants to work on city of dallas projects and they go through the program and i'm wet behind the ears i'm probably 26 27 years old sitting in a room with a bunch of veteran contractors and after they give their spill, I raise my hand. And they go, a, a question? And I said, yeah, I got a question. So you certify these contractors, right? Yes, they go through a certification process. I go, do they go through a, um, not competency, but uh, do you qualify them? And they go, what do you mean qualify? That's what I mean. Are they qualified to do the work? Your certification ain't jack shit, okay? Are they qualified and financially capable of handling the work? Well, we don't know. But we have to use them. Yes, you have to use them. Well, that's a bunch of shit. And believe you me, I will do my best to not use them unless they are qualified and competent there was that book was full of unqualified and incompetent contractors they'd get their money if you had to hire them and they went and bought their six-pack friday night and never see them again 
their work was substandard. And the worst I saw was working on the Dart Line in downtown Dallas. That had to have been 93 or so. And they had to use a minority contract. And that guy couldn't pour shit out of his boot if he was upside down. And somebody was reading the directions to him and holding their boots in their hand. That's how incompetent these guys were. It was horrible. I don't know how many times the contractor would come to us and say, would you go down there and help those guys and help them do what? Help them finish concrete. Wait a minute. Isn't that your top-notch minority concrete contractor that uh, Ombo said you had to use? Yeah, that's them. Well, tell them to eat shit and die. Come on, Jeff, man. We'll pay your guys to go help them. It's, It's horrible. And it was horrible. And it hasn't gotten any better. Anybody who says otherwise is just smoking the wrong shit all that's all there is to it so now we're going to do it in the nfl well what they say you have to have three years of college experience doesn't say what level of college experience or nfl experience well i guess if you're a water boy in the nfl that might give you experience this is just as, as my buddy Wes says you know he's been a complainer about parrot in the NFL for like the last 20 years. Well, while the play has gone down, which it has since what I grew up with of the sixties and the seventies and the eighties, we're, we're not seeing the great play that we were used to then. Well, now you're going to see pathetic coaching. I mean, look at the Dallas Cowboys, for instance, and the coaches that Jerry Jones hired after Jimmy Johnson was released or parted ways or whatever those two idiots did. It's been a cavalcade of horrible, horrible coaching decisions. Of course, Jerry Jones wants to run the team, but he gets coaches that are incompetent. They've been in the NFL for longer than they should. They've experienced their term has expired and they're still coaching or doing something just because, and and this brings up a deal where, Oh, this idiot, you know, just he's, I've got two associates that are quote journalists and they want to throw it in your face all the time that I was spent 40 years in journalism. That doesn't mean you're any fucking good at it. Does it? No. I've known guys in construction that have been in it 15 years and still don't know the difference between concrete and cement. And there's a huge difference. I could go tell them, why don't you go finish that cement in the back of my truck? And they'll look at me and goes, well, you just said you're a cement contractor. Cement's a powder. You know, it comes in a 94-pound bag. It's powder. But if you want to finish that, have at it, Jack, go do it. Dumbass. <clears throat> God, that aggravates the hell out of me. Just because you have experience, just because you have a diploma, doesn't know you know what you're doing. Because you could have been a buddy of somebody's. And that's why you got the job. Well, I felt sorry for Jack. You know, Jack's been on hard times, and I made him an assistant to an assistant to an assistant of the Waterboys assistant. But hey, he, he, he's working now. He, he's getting some experience. What, taking out the trash?
But I know I've seen this firsthand. When you start putting uh, quotas on positions, you aren't going to get the qualified people that you need. And that was brought up at dinner last night. And perhaps I can get Lee and uh, JR to chime in on this and say, either the next episode or the one after that about since they're they're friends and I'm not going to tell you what color they are because that doesn't matter but you will get their perspective on it and then you can figure out what color they are because when everybody wants to throw the race card out there you know he's black he's white he's brown I don't give a shit is he qualified to do the job that's it and if you're not get out And that's what I cover in my book, Cutting to the Chase. If you're not qualified, get the hell out. I don't give a damn about your ethnicity, period. Or the degrees that you walk into your office with because my roll of toilet paper 90% of the times has more use than that sheepskin that you got hanging on your wall. You're the same guy that I brought out to the job site and gave a shovel to. And he goes, well, I'm left-handed. And I said, well, then turn the shovel around. Maybe it'll work. Huh? Idiot. So, yeah, that's what I think about the NFL's diversity. I'm surprised the MLB hasn't instituted this yet. But when the coaching goes to hell and bad decisions are constantly made because they had to meet a quota, then in 10 or 15 years, well, maybe we need to revisit that. Well, you should have never revisited in the first place, you morons. You're qualified or you aren't. Yes, there's nepotism that goes in. Yeah, there's back scratching. Yeah. There's a good old boy network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you earn it, you earn it. If you don't, you don't. But when you tell someone, oh, and you're going to reimburse them. So we're paying you a percentage of their contract, which if you look at what coaches make in the NFL versus Division I collegiate schools, it ain't jack shit. None of those guys are making what Nick Saban or Mike Gundy are making. But what do you think the assistants are making? Basically, the NFL is going to pay their salary. So we're paying you. Isn't that what the government's doing? We're paying you not to work. We're paying you to hire someone who probably isn't qualified. Doesn't that make sense? Did hell freeze over? I keep forgetting. Did hell freeze over? Maybe it has. Because it sure sounds like it. Okay, enough of that. News pundits. Oh, God. I don't even know why I do this because it just aggravates me. It's like I was mentioning about the two associates I have that were journalists. Because you're a journalist doesn't mean 
you're all knowing. In fact, I've read some of the stuff one guy's written. It's like you're a journalist. Uh, and I really wanted to drill him because he was in Atlanta during the Richard Jewell fiasco. And I'm just curious because I think he worked for the Atlanta. Oh, hell, I forgot the name of the paper. But the one that broke the story that the FBI was bearing in on Richard, that he planted the bomb. Oh, we come to find out he didn't. But I was really wanting to ask this guy. So where was your stance on the paper you worked for? Did you run with the story that he was responsible for this? Or did you all sit back and say, let's see how the chips fall? From the posts I've seen, I know what side he was on. So you're in 40 years of journalism. How many of the stories, hard-hitting stories, did you write that were true? Because we sure don't get it today. And, and all they are is callers and hackers. And, and I don't know what Fox is trying to pull. If you watch their show, because that's all it is, is a Ringling Brothers show. They got their desk covered in papers. Do you ever see them look at any of them? No, I bet they're all blank. I bet there's nothing on them, but it looks like they've done their research. They've really, they've really got all their facts together. No, they don't. Bill Hammer, <clears throat> bless his soul. The more he talks to Dana, the dumber they both look. It is sad. It is sad. And this is the best we've got. These are supposed to be the top journalists in the country, and they're covering a story, and they usually don't have their shit together. I don't even want to get into Gutfield. He just show, a show ought to be canceled. I mean, Tyrus, what the hell is Tyrus doing with his belt on every episode? Dude, do you, do you have to carry it around to remind yourself that one time you were a champion in the WWE or WWF or WWF, who gives a shit? I don't know. What a clown. The whole show's a clown. It's just it's a it's just a shit show is what it is. And Faulkner, she just needs to go. She's just an angry black woman. She I tell I just can't stand her. I can't watch any of those people. Any of them. They want to look into the camera and try and convey. Their opinion, it's their opinion. It's just like Dan Abrams. I guess WGN's really faltering. I haven't looked at the ratings lately, but good Lord. That's the only one they're promoting now <clears throat> is Dan Abrams. I guess he's going to save WGN because Banfield can't. Banfield's just a bimbo bubbling blonde poodle. That's all she is. It's a joke. It's just a damn joke. Good Lord. Oh, and while we're talking about jokes, you know, who out there is sick and tired and ready to hang themselves from the following commercial ads? Car Shield, Medicare, Colonial Life, Liberty Mutual, Progressive. 
how much money are they spending on these ads that run every five minutes? And you usually get two at a time. This is not cheap. So these companies must be making a boatload of money to be able to afford running these nonstop 24-7. And if you watch MeTV or shit, what's the other one? Uh, oh, not this ignorant channel. Let me see. What's it called? If it'll pop up. Come on, come on. People don't want to listen to silence. Does it have a, well, yeah, it's WGM. Between those two and MeTV, that's all you're hit with. It's like a damn ping pong match. You try and switch back and forth so you miss it. No, you're not going to miss it. You're going to get blindsided with Car Shield, Colonial, Medicare, Liberty Mutual. It's just an endless parade of stupidity. What would your premiums be if they didn't run these ads all the time? It'd probably shock the hell out of you. That $9.95 premium would probably be $2.95. That's a book. It'll probably be the last one that I write down the road of the price of number one. And that's what it's really, I'm really going to get into. Okay. I talked about this last time, but it's, it's worth an honorable mention. And that was the Hunter Biden laptop. I had a guy on my page. We went to high school together. I didn't like him then. I just friended him just because but he's just a flaming ass liberal. And he was one of those that said Kyle Rittenhouse was a murderer and he's going to jail. Oh, we haven't heard what Kyle's doing, what his attorneys are doing yet. I check it, check on that about once a month or so, just to see if any suits have been filed so far. I haven't seen any, but uh, I think, I think Facebook ought to be on that for as a class action suit against all the people like this idiot, Greg, who made these outlandish claims to where it's a class action suit and everyone's going to be held accountable. Maybe that shut their dumb ass up. I don't see that happening because that would just be how many millions of people they would have to go after. So just do a class action suit against Facebook and hold them accountable for all the foul language that was coming out of these people's mouths. And the laptop was another one of them. I mean, I remember when that broke and within less than a week, this idiot was like, oh, it's been disavowed. It, it's false. It's bullshit. It was false because you are a parrot for CNN, MSNBC, NPR, ABC, CBS, and NBC. And you can see that on their posts. They're just parrots. They couldn't have an intelligent thought if they had to. And if they did, they'd probably drop dead. But that wouldn't be good because they have families, but it would wake them up. 
So what's going to come of this? Under this current administration, which is a failure unto itself, and anyone who doesn't think it is, is just got their rose-colored glasses and blinders on to where, hell, a knight could see more with his visor on than what they can see because they're just blind. But they don't mind throwing out how they hate Trump. And let's talk about Trump for a minute. Okay, he lost me at his current rally in, I think it was South Carolina. When does a political candidate or spokesman for a party start dropping F-bombs? That is completely uncalled for. It's It's wrong from the word go. You will not hear me say that. And if I do on this, on any episode, call me out. But there is a time and a place for that. And I try and use explicitives as little as possible unless I'm really driving home a point. But GD and F-bombs, I've really got to be pissed off to do that. And I had a real good opportunity to do that about three nights ago when I got a call from this guy in Spain. You all know that I lost my good friend, Bears Bergosian on December 29th. And I spent 12 days cleaning up his room, sorting everything. It was a disaster. Four years of mail. And I sent the family a bill for $3,000. Well, they didn't like that. But then they'd already gotten everything they wanted. So that turned into a shit show of which they beat me out of 1500 But what really got me is there was a pistol. Well, the family chose not to come here for whatever reason. The family in California, the family in Europe, nobody came over here. Hi. And so I get this phone call. And he wants to know about this pistol. Bears had a pistol. Okay, well, one of his family, a nephew from his second wife, asked me about it. I said, yeah, I got it. He goes, I'll give you $1,000 for it. Okay, who am I to say no? Family's already said they don't care. Well, that's what this guy calls me up about. And he wants to know, how I came up with a price, how I, I said, you know, it's none of your business. Boy, I almost dropped an F-bomb there. It's none of your business. You know, you told me you could hop on a plane at any time and be in the United States. Well, why the hell didn't you get on a plane and come over here? How come no one from California? You know, I don't want to hear any more about this damn pistol. You got a problem with it? Call this guy up. Well, what they do, at least this kid, he just keeps talking. And after the last time I talked, and I said, I'm done. Now, if I talk to him again, it's not going to happen. And I just kept talking because he was trying to talk over me. Don't do that shit with me. Because when I hit that point, I'm not backing down. I'm not going to sit there and listen to you rattle your dumbass head off, listening to yourself, thinking I'm going to back down. And... Once he realized what was going on, he said, 
well, you know, you made one point that's right. And I said, no, every point I've made is right. And I'm done with this. I don't care anymore. You got a problem. Call someone who does care because it's not me. You want to make this right? Pay me that other $1,500. Other than that, I really don't care anymore. You know, I'm done. I did what I was supposed to do. I did what the family wouldn't do. So you got a problem, then you should have gotten a ticket and flown your happy ass over here and taken care of it yourself. If you knew he had the pistol, you should have come and gotten it. That wasn't my job. You don't like the way I did it? Too damn bad. Because I cleaned up a shithole and that's what it was. It was horrible. I loved my friend. But I knew he was losing his strength and his living conditions were getting, were deteriorating and it really hurt. And I was hoping that he would come out of the hospital. So I started cleaning up his room. And when I realized he wasn't, it's like, somebody's going to have to do this. And I'd already heard from the families, well, we can't make it. Well, then, okay. And pay your damn bills. And I didn't mean to get off track there, but I really did want to vent because that phone call, boy, that just went all over me like white on rice. How did I come up with the price? That's none of your business how I came up with it. And I didn't come up with it. It's what he offered. And I said, Sold, because he also said, well, if you think it's worth more than that, then I'll pay that later. Of course, that hasn't happened. Amazing what happens when money becomes involved. And, and I don't want to get into it because this is th these people are wealthy. These people have money. And I guess that's why they've got it, because, well, I saw it in construction. That's one reason I got out of it. I got tired of being beaten out of money on a daily and monthly basis. Okay. So, yeah, the news, I don't care anything for it. Okay, we need to talk about Joe Bumbling Biden had a State of the Union address, right? Yes, he did. He also had a press conference, was that two, three days ago. And as painful as it is to watch it, I had to watch it, which turned out to be a pretty good thing. I mean, one, we all know Biden said there's got to be a regime change. And I found a couple of, art, of uh, references. Talk about the media covering his dumb, white, saggy ass. Biden was very, there's got to be regime change. That's it. And the White House tries to backtrack it and crawl at it. And Joe comes out a day later and says, I'm not bucking down from anything. So whatever his administration's trying to smooth out, he just blows it out of the way. It's just like there's no, there, nobody knows what the left and right hand are doing. He doesn't know what room he's waking up in most of the time. He's got to look over in the morning and go, who are you? Looking at Jill. She goes, I'm your wife. Really? How'd that happen? God, and all that crap that the liberals said about Trump not being stable. I remember all those debates. In fact, I deleted a lot of those people from Facebook because 
they're diagnosing him because they saw him on camera. They should all be sued for that too. That's another story, but oh, what was this? The Atlantic, here's a quality liberal rag by Tom Nichols calls the line an unforced error. An unforced error wasn't an unforced error. He said there's supposed to be a regime change, Tom. Oh, but I bet this is a journalist with 30 years of experience and he still got his head up his ass. What the hell? What Biden was doing, of course, was being Joe Biden, a dumbass. He was speaking for all of us from the heart. Really? Really? He wasn't speaking for me. This trait can be endearing to his supporters, but this wasn't the right time for it. It's never the right time, you moron. That that was one. Let's see, though, from the is this from the post? This is one of those speeches where the one-liner in many ways drowns out the intent of the speech. Drowns out? There was nothing to drown out. It overrode, period. He said regime change. That's it. Two words. Look them up in Webster's regime change. Maybe you could come up with a cognitive sentence over something like that, but I seriously doubt it. I guess you can call this a gaffe from the heart. A gaffe? Russia needs a regime change. That's a gaffe? That is a dumb assery move. That's tomfoolery, as Brian Brasky would say. It's just an ignorant statement. It's that simple. My God, imagine if Trump would have said that. If Biden could close his eyes tomorrow and have 10 wishes, one would be there's a leadership change in Russia. Miller, however, is not convinced the line will have major repercussions, in part because the White House so quickly clarified, and then Joe overrode the clarification, you moron. But these are the journalists of the United States. Please, these are hackers and callers. Hell, they weren't qualified to run a one-ring circus. Ah. Uh, and before we get into the speech, let's talk about Disney for a minute. All, of course, you know, the the bill, and I didn't look up the title of it, the DeSante sign, of course, all the liberals got their panties in a wad, which they're always in a wad. In fact, I bet the cotton's coming out of their mouth. Where has the media been for the last 10 to 15 years with Disney? I have grandchildren that were watching those Disney shows, and all it has become is a puppy mill of child actors. This is not what Walt wanted. He didn't want his daughters in show business because he knew how bad it was. But that's all Disney has been doing, is cranking out bad shows with bad actors and bad plot lines. So why weren't they raising hell about it back then? And why are they shocked that Disney is going to try and overturn this law? Good luck with that. You realize conservatives go to Disneyland and Disney World. What's that going to do to your attendance? Have you thought about that? Well, from what I saw, the CEO of Disney, 
She she needs to be out in a field somewhere planted with the daisies because there's nothing intelligent coming out of her head. It's all air. This is the face. She is the face of the liberal corporate me, corporate structure in media. Empty. There's nothing of substance there. It's just an empty void. All she cares about is feeling good and. Oh, we need to have more gay characters and lesbian characters. And oh, shut the hell up. Go ahead. Kill your business. And maybe that's what it needs. Maybe it needs an animal like the rest of them. But I'm so proud that DeSantos took a stand and basically just told her, why don't you just focus on entertainment like Walt wanted the company to do and stay out of my arena because you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Have you read the bill? It, I, I go back to these voting bills that the left got their panties in a wad over, over Georgia and Texas and they were discriminatory and there was voter suppression and blah, blah, blah. And like Manfred moving the all-star game from Atlanta to Colorado to uh, Denver. You know, we go from a predominantly black neighborhood that's struggling and oppressed to a lily white neighborhood that's affluent and not oppressed. That made a lot of damn sense. But then none of them read the bill. I read the bill and there is nothing in there that the media was saying. Period. I need to get a copy, if I can, of what DeSantis signed and see what's in there before I start talking through my ass, as the media does, without being informed. Therefore, I won't do it. But I'm, it's Disney's been like this for the last 15 years. If you watched any of their shows, I mean, Hannah Montana, yeah, my oldest granddaughter loved it. I watched that show. It's like. Yeah, you're sexualizing teenagers. That's a good move. Walt would he'd have shut down the studio and not thought twice about it. Okay. Ugh. So Joe waffled in the press conference, or no, it wasn't a press conference because he doesn't answer any questions unless they're scripted and handed to him. My God, Trump would have impromptu press conferences every day, and he'd talk to him for 20 or 25 minutes. Joe can't do it. He thinks he can, oh, because he had that one that lasted like an hour and a half, and I can take this if you can take it, and uh, I'll stay here as long as you want to. And oh, shut the hell up, old man. That's all you are, and that is what I, I just laughed because all these liberal women were bitching and moaning about old white men running the country, and that's what they voted for, was an old, white, incompetent man. Doesn't that give you a warm fuzzy? I think not. Okay. So here's what Joe said, and this is going to be from his conference three days ago and his State of the Union address. In the State of the Union, he said he would cut the deficit by $1 trillion this time next year. That was the State of the Union address. At the conference he had three days ago, he would cut $1 trillion in 10 years. Did anyone in the media pick up on that? No. No one. 
because they aren't listening. Maybe it was on some of those stacks of paper on the Fox News desk for the Fox and Friends morning show that they can't read. So, there's a lie. Where is the media on that? You see anybody post that on Facebook? No. No. He also said he would cut the def. He'd already cut. Let's see. Uh, cut the deficit by one point three trillion in fifteen months. That he had cut the deficit by one point three trillion in his first fifteen months. Well, you know, <clears throat> I went to the deficit clock, and we're sitting at thirty point three trillion. That's where it is right now. So when he says he cut it, well, that gives everyone a warm fuzzy, doesn't it? Well, let's do a little quick historical analysis. Now, this is what the deficit went up starting 2016. 585, 665, 779, 984, 3.13 trillion. In 2021, 2.172 trillion. Now, granted, we're in COVID. That's what these, this 3.3 and 2 million are accounting for. We know Trump approved, you know, all that money for COVID relief to citizens, local governments, state governments, colleges. Yeah, 1,500 colleges got COVID money, but even Bill Maurer didn't realize that. He wanted to hammer on Joel Osteen, but he didn't want to talk about Columbia and Harvard and Yale and Princeton and William and Mary and Oklahoma State and OU and Texas Tech and Texas a and blah, 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 and a whole fucking list of, excuse me, I did not mean to say that, a whole list of other colleges, but nobody wanted to cover that. 1,500 colleges got COVID money. Did you not know that? Probably not. So Joe says he's got the deficit $1.35 trillion in 15 months. Not by the numbers, don't, Joe. Now, maybe if you have uh, creative accounting, you might think so, but the press ate it up. Did you see anybody call him out and say, uh, no, that's not right. And wait till this omnibus comes out that Congress is going to pass because it's not a budget. It's just an omnibus. The last, and that's how we got through 2020. They passed an omnibus because Trump said in 2019 he would never sign another budget like Congress gave him. Does anybody remember that? Or am I it? Okay, what else? Oh, yes, the labor numbers. Well, you know, I called Trump out on this, and I'll call Joe out on it, too. If I go back when Obama was president, and they were underreporting the unemployment numbers horribly, because the government came out with like 15%, and I got in a big debate with uh, a liberal and another conservative, and after we went through the whole thing, we came up, it was like 22%. Now, we know when Trump was in, there were more jobs 
than there were people to fill them. Well, if all of these people have gone back to work, it seems like it's a hell of a lot worse. Joe hasn't created anything. It's just like Donald. Donald didn't create any new jobs when COVID restrictions started being loosened. They went back to their original job or they found another one and were doing that. Well, the same thing goes for Joe. He hadn't created jack shit. If you haven't seen that video on YouTube, The Shit Family, I highly recommend it. It is very entertaining and enlightening and will give you a full breakdown of The Shit Family. And then when it's all said and done, you can say, I know Jack Shit. I'd rather know him than Joe Biden because he's full of shit, but that's irrelevant. It's just a fact. Go ahead, fact check me on that one. Uh, so no, Joe hadn't created any jobs. Every place you'd go, they're wanted signs up. That's it. They're wanted signs. He's created nothing. But the media is not going to call him out. And he said, now this, this really got me going. He says his Build Back Better plan has already produced the fruits of 4,000 projects across 50 states. Now, on the surface, that seems, hey, maybe it's working on the surface. But then you have to understand what it takes to get a construction job working. And these are just a few of the minor things. And also remember, there's 46,000 bridges that are structurally deficient. You think these 4,000 jobs, any of those are there? Okay, so here's what it takes to get a ma major job on the books. You have to have soil studies. You use the soil studies to send it to the engineers so they can design it. You have to survey the job and figure out how much right away you're going to have to acquire for that if it's a new job. Well, once you've got an initial design or a conceptual design, then you get feedback and then you get down to the brass text of getting a bid design, but a bid design is not a construction design because they haven't been stamped. Then you have to have utility relocations if any of those are going to conflict with the new project. And that's a whole different process that takes time, effort, and money. Well, then you have to, you have to prepare a, you have to have pre-construction meetings on the prints so the contractors can go over it, put their questions together, go through the bid book, submit them to the engineers, and then here will come the changes. And there will be many. And then you can advertise it for bid, accept the bids, culminate the bids, 
and then award it. And then after award, it's usually 60 to 90 days before that job will start. So the bottom line is how many of these 4,000 jobs, because that comes down to 80 projects per state. What was the dollar amount of those projects, Joe? Well, he doesn't know. He doesn't know how many of these jobs are already on the books getting ready to start. Now, if there are emergent, there are cases where emergency funds are available for not complete reconstruction, but repair. Like that bridge he was standing on in New Hampshire. Well, that's going to be a replacement. But that bridge replacement can be prefabricated. So that's an existing bridge. And a lot of the steps that I mentioned don't have to be followed but it's still got to be designed. And if it's a prefabricated, because it's not that big of a, it's not that wide of a river. I mean, that's what the railroad does. A lot of their bridges are prefabricated. I worked on a rail line. It comes in sections, you set them and doesn't take that long. But of the 4,000, how many were already on the books? That is the question. And I will lay money that 95% of those jobs were already in the bidding stage long before Congress passed a Build Back Better because just the way it is. Okay but you don't see anybody calling them out. Now, let's talk about Ukraine in this last segment. Let's see what time it is. It's worked out pretty good. Does the media want World War III? And I'm convinced they do, because then it would give them something to talk about. Endlessly, timelessly, tirelessly. So Ukraine attacks a refinery in Belgorod. Well, it is a military target, but that's in Russia. Well, all the bases that uh, the Russians have been shelling are in the Ukraine. But now the media is upset that Ukraine is fighting back and going after a vital strategic fuel supply target around Belgorod? What? If you listen to these idiots, it's like Zelensky should have sent a telegram to Putin saying, hey, by the way, you got a problem if I uh, bomb this refinery? Because they're making a big deal. This is the first time that Ukrainian missiles have hit Russian soil. So what? It's a war. They are hitting a strategic target. And if it is a functioning refinery, 
that's right there. Well, hell yeah, we're taking it out because they're able to get fuel to the Russian forces real, real fast. It's a bona fide target. But the way the media is talking about this, it's like they're appalled, even though they've got all of their blue and yellow pendants and ties and brooches and whatever other thing they can put the Ukrainian flag's colors on, plastered on their forehead, all of a sudden, they're not too happy that uh, they've launched artillery strikes in Russia. They're widening the war. It's been widened. The Ukraine dug in like a tick on a dog and are bleeding the Russians, not dry, but they are really giving them hell. And, you know, this deal of the Russians deployed 2,000 troops, that is nothing. When you have a three front war going, 2,000 troops ain't shit, especially when your military was a million to begin with, with 2 million in reserve. And what really gets me, and, and I don't know if you all saw this, but uh, the media, here we go, these professional journalists, these people who are above us all and are keeping us informed don't have a bit of historical knowledge. And I don't know if it was Kharkov, and that's what I'm going to call it because that's what it is in the history books. If they changed it after the fall of the Soviet Union, fine, I don't care. Or it had to have been Kharkov. They were showing a Russian tank. It was like a T-72 or something that had been knocked out. They showed a few of them. And then they showed this other tank. And it was, you could see it was on a ramp. But they were giving you the impression that it was a knocked out Russian tank. No, it wasn't. It was an old T-34-85 on a monument to commemorate the great patriotic war against Germany in World War II. And they didn't know that. They thought it was a knocked, a modern knocked out Russian tank, and it wasn't. That's why I have this disdain for the media and their historical references. I looked up not one of them has talked about this weather, including General Jack Keane, which I'm really disturbed about. Of course, the Russians are moving forces around. Look at the forecast. It started. The rains have started. The temperature looks like a ping pong ball over there. It's going to be warm. It's going to be wet. And then it's going to snow in like three days. And then it's going to warm up again. And it's just going to turn that country into the biggest damn quagmire which stops armored vehicles. End of statement, period, done. So yes, the Russians are pulling back. And this talk that Mariupol is going to fall, you are underestimating these people. Leningrad didn't fall. Stalingrad didn't fall. 
the Germans paid a huge price when they encircled Minsk. And Kiev. They paid a heavy price. Those people did not go down without a fight. In Western thinking, we don't understand the mindset of the Eastern European mind. I don't give a damn how many focus groups you've got that are overpaid. God knows who funds these idiots. These people have gone through hell 80 years ago. They were bled dry. They were encircled. They were starved. And they survived. But what did I hear? Oh, it, I know that I heard it on CNN. I forgot that gal's name. She gives me gas of like how this is dragging on. Dragging on? It's only a month old. We were in Afghanistan for 20 years. We were in Vietnam for uh, 12. Let's see, 72, 10. Yeah, 12 to 15, if you throw in the advisors, we're in Korea for three. We were in World War II for four. We were in World War One for 10 months. We had an Indian war that lasted 30 years. And she says, this is drug on for 35 days. It's only begun, you twit. Absolutely no historical content or knowledge of anything. Their producers should all be shot for letting them spout this shit. Oh, that's a knocked out Russian tank. No, it's not. It's a monument. It's very evident it was a monument. But what do they know? And since they aren't teaching history in school anymore, why would the public know the difference? They wouldn't because they're ignorant. They're clueless. Educate yourself. Stop using knee-jerkpedia, which that's all the media is today. They're just going to jerk on your knee and say, believe us, believe us, believe us. I ain't believing anything you say. I'll do my own damn research, and then I'll call you people out and see if you can defend yourselves. I had plenty of debates on Facebook that stayed civil. And if people didn't agree with me, that's fine. Come with your guns loaded and let's do it. Let's dance. And if you can't dance, get the hell off the floor. Because you're just taking up space. And when you look at what these people are being paid, it is. They're rewarded for being ignorant. But. So Russia hit a refinery. I mean, Ukraine hit a refinery. It's a bona fide target. If the Russians have bases 30, 40 kilometers behind the lines where they're staging, because this is what's about to happen. The range are starting. 
they're going to start regrouping and licking their wounds and revising their plans, but they can't do anything until end of May, early June. It appears the Ukrainian generals know this. They've studied their history. They're following it. They're going to do the same thing. And this is where NATO and all their infinite BS wisdom needs to get all the weapons in now. It's the bullshit time is over. You got caught with your pants down a month ago for thinking, oh, it's just going to be a, isn't that what Joe called it, a minor incursion? Uh, a three-front war is a minor incursion to Joe Biden. How does that make you feel about his leadership capabilities? Ah, uh, yeah, I don't get a warm, damn, fuzzy feeling at all. This scares the hell out of me how incompetent he is. Russia is going to regroup. This is what they did in World War and. World War II. They're going to build up supplies. They're going to retrain. They're going to put bring units back up to strength. They're going to have to reevaluate their entire offensive plan. Yes, they've made gains in the Donbass region. Yes, they've made gains in the South. But if you recall, two and a half weeks ago, the media said Odessa was going to fall. It hasn't. They haven't gotten close to Odessa. Look at where the Russian forces are today and look at what the media told you two and a half, three weeks ago. They've gotten it wrong every step of the way. They must be on Biden's administration because they can't get anything right. But they can cover for themselves and if people like me don't call them out, then what do you know? Nothing. We're worse. John Banner, Sergeant Schultz, I know nothing, nothing. I do. I know something. Because as a student of history, I can see it repeating itself. And the Russians are making the same mistakes the Germans did underestimated their opponent. Had too many objectives. And haven't achieved anything. Now, yeah, 1942, you can say, well, let's talk about that just for a minute. In Operation Blau, which was the offensive to drive to the Caucasus and to the Volga. Unlike the invasion of 1941, the Germans took a lot of land. Now they got blood dry at Sebastopol. That was just a bloody, bloody fight. But territorially, the Germans took a whole lot of land. But what they didn't take 
was a whole lot of prisoners like they did in 41, the 600,000 around Kiev. Uh, I forgot what they got at Biazam in Bryansk, but they, after 41, they had like one to one and a half million Russians as prisoners of war. Pretty, pretty impressive. But in 42, even though they swept across the steppes in the plains of Ukraine, in Crimea, the Russians were just giving it to them. They wanted the Germans to keep advancing because they just kept falling back. They, Stalin finally realized these stand-and-die orders are pointless. Zhukov convinced him of this. Rokokovsky convinced him of this. We'll keep falling back and drawing them in and drawing them in and drawing them in. And the whole time, the Germans are advancing, thinking, we're going to capture all of Eastern Europe. They're being drawn into a huge trap a massive trap and they didn't realize it because they didn't have long range reconnaissance but in November of 1942 they found out that uh, it's all about to change they got drawn in they conquered a lot of territory but now you have to control and occupy that territory. And this is what we're seeing. Russia can't do that. They can't even conquer it, much less occupy it. So, yes, they're drawing back. The offensive time is over. I mean, you could... Look at this like the Germans did of December 16th, 1944, when they released, released the Ardennes Offensive and shocked the hell out of the U.S. troops. But we know how that turned out, too. The Germans made swift gains. And then they paid for them dearly. And that was Eisenhower's move that they thought about cutting off that bulge where the Germans came across. Well, the highway network was horrible there. That's why it was so good for the Germans to break out of it. The ground is frozen. There's snow. It took us six weeks to push them back. But those 300,000 men that broke through and all their equipment are pretty well taken care of. War wasn't over, wouldn't be over until May, but uh, they paid a heavy price. So we talked about this on the last episode. If the Russians decide that they can't take Kiev, but they leave troops there, then the Ukrainians can marshal their forces and cut that pocket off and wipe them out. 
now they have a huge bargaining chip with Moscow. If you don't pull out from all lands, we're going to do this to you. We will put our troops together and we're going to systematically chop your people up and send them home in boxes or use them as fertilizer in our fields. You don't attack on all three fronts. You pick one, eliminate that pocket. Go to the next one, eliminate that pocket. Go to the next one, eliminate that pocket. Because the Russian army is too thin to begin with. And they're hurting. And we know it. And they know it. But the media getting their panties in a wad over this refinery being hit, it's a valid target. And if they can, if the Ukrainians can identify any other marshalling areas, those are valid targets. They declared war on Ukraine. Ukraine is now allowed to defend themselves. And if anyone from NATO or the UN or the media gets up there and starts saying Russia, the Ukrainians need to stop firing missiles into Russia, should be shot. Because their narrative will prove to be false as always. We will support the Ukrainians as long as they don't fire on targets in Russia. We'll stop firing at targets in Ukraine, and maybe they won't have to do that. But Zelensky should not have to defend himself. That would be like the United States, the the 8th Air Force and the RAF having to defend themselves from bombing German cities. You're going to widen the war. We're already at war. They bombed our cities. We're bombing theirs. It's war. Okay. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Subscribe to the channel. Tell your friends. Word of mouth is the best way. I will post this. If if the video comes out good and they don't have any connection issues, then we'll take care of that. But subscribe to the channel. Leave comments. Let me know what you think. Have a good week, and we'll talk to you in two. I hope you enjoyed our time together. I know I did. Without you wonderful listeners, this show would not be possible. If you want to know more about me and how my brain works, that's a scary thought. Check out my books at jeffdawsononamazon.com, websites, LDDJ Enterprises, and jeffdawsonauthor.site for upcoming releases and teaser excerpts from past and present publications. You can also contact me at Facebook, LDDJ Enterprises Publishing, or email LDDJEnterprises at gmail.com or on Twitter at jeffdawson59. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Dawson's Domain.